And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here with you. Sorry, we're a little bit late. Uh, having the typical glitches I've been having lately. So you can hear some some ranting about me or <laughs> having to try to uh, get guests on the show for you. But we had someone lined up, and I'm not sure what's happening. But um, maybe he will still come in. State former Oklahoma State Representative Charles Keyes does great work on the Oklahoma City bombing. I interviewed him on my TFR version of I protest a couple of years ago. So not sure what's happening, but uh, we had him lined up a couple of weeks ago too, and the same kind of thing happened. So maybe he'll show up, maybe not. If not, uh, I'll be talking. And of course, Tony Arterburn will jump in. Okay, and I'm seeing some comments. Now, hi, Chris Buckman. Thanks for being here. You're a bit late. Yeah, exactly. I am. And it's just, you know, I, any, any of you out there, <laughs> if anybody wants to volunteer to be an, as if it's not already enough to have this researcher, the three searchers, the unpaired, the unpaid three churches and Tony Arterburn doing everything he does for me. Anybody wants to volunteer to be a, a guest, a special assistant in charge of procuring guests, I would call some fancy title for you or whatever. Because I, you know, I, what happens is you you end up losing your enthusiasm for this. It's, uh, it happens way too much, and especially at the last minute, because it's not like I can suddenly get another guest at the last minute when you're ready to go on air, and especially when you say, you send miners out and say the day before or that morning and I do this all the time. And I understand it's difficult. People are busy and everything, but it just, um, it's very frustrating, but it's nice to see some comments there in, in YouTube. Uh, I see Doug Walters. Hey, Don, love your work. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate that. And Chris, can, uh, Chris says, let me work on my scheduling issues. And I'd love that. Well, great. Hey, you know what? <laughs> Anybody, and if more than one of you want to do it, share it, then it'll make it look like I have a great big staff. You know, a lot of these things are, you know, is, you know, are impressions. You, you work and say, I'm, I'm publicist, I'm whatever that people think, oh, you have people. Because some of the, some of the people that I contact, you know, have people, you know, I don't have people other than you guys that are, that I hopefully I credit you a lot, but uh, anyway, my main man, Tony Arterburn's here. So uh, Tony, I, what, you know, where's, um, I should. I would have written a, a Substack article. Maybe we could discuss, but I didn't get a chance to because my main writing computer died on me today too. I have a, I have a home network set up, but I have a computer for different things. Again, these are first world problems, you know. So I'll probably have to get another computer. I realize every time I do that, my son always reminds me oh, it's another first world problem. I said, yes, I, I know it really is. But well, what uh, I've it, learned uh, through uh, knowing you is that you and I can talk about anything. We can uh, be, uh, you know, five minutes out from a live stream or two minutes out and say, hey, we're, we're going to talk about what do you think? And then just go live and, you know, we can uh, cover a lot of ground. We did that this uh, 
this past week uh, on David Knight's show twice. So once for Absolutely. two hours. <laughs> that's, that's right. Oh, it's, uh, man, that was wonderful. Uh, Chris Grace says, and of course, we knew he'd be here. Wonderful to see Chris Grace, one of the legendary three searchers. Uh, he says that Rockfin isn't live yet. Is that not true? That is uh, not true at this time. Have uh, Chris check again. Check again. Rock, Chris, Rockfin okay. sometimes has a little bit of a lag on the stream. Okay. Just a tiny lag. So it should be good now. Cool. But uh, so anyhow, that's right. So I, I'm a little um, I'm a little out of sorts today because you know, I'm a creature of habit. So I have a routine. I have an office downstairs, and I have you know this laptop I just used for interviews. I this really don't do much else on. It. I don't. I don't like laptops. I, I don't. I'm one of the few people that still loves the old desktop computers. I like that. I like. I like the big keyboard. I like having a big monitor. You know, I like it all separate. I don't. I've I used laptops, but I don't. I don't. Know. I, I don't like them as much as usual. I'm kind of disagreeing. Looks like we've got Charles in the back office uh, now, Don. I mean, he looks like he's arranged oh. the camera. <laughs> okay, right. So okay, like that's wonderful. Like he's walking around. So uh, as soon as he stabilizes a little bit, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll put it into the stream. Okay, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Well, that's just, that's nice to know. I, and I'm with you on desktops. I. I really prefer my desktop. I've got a, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a real modern setup, but I've got dual screens here and I bought oh, one of the yeah. refurbished computers back in 2018 from Walmart mm -hmm. where they like refurbish them and it works yeah. just fine. Uh, so knock on wood, you know, it's still works, my friend. I like them much better. You know, I spent a lot of time, you know, back when I was in IT, especially in the old days when, uh, before security got too bad, you know, we, we, we ended up getting a lot of unwanted parts and putting computers together, you know, putting memory and hard drive. And it was, uh, that's pretty much every computer I ever had, you know, was built from there. So I recognized maybe they wouldn't last that long, but it was, it was pretty cool. Is Charles, I see Charles, is Charles there? I think he may have stabilized and, and sat down. There he is. He looks like, okay. How this goes. How's that? Okay. Hey, Charles, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Awesome. Well, you're on with Don Jeffrey, sir. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sorry, I was well, late. Well, I, I'm better late than ever. I'm glad you're here, Charles. You're, you're worth waiting for. Uh, former Oklahoma State Representative Charles Key, and uh, you know, I, I've been trying to. I'm writing uh, Hidden History Three, so I'm, I'm covering Hidden uh, Oklahoma City bombing in more depth there, along with a lot of other subjects. But uh, you're you're about the only one that's still out there kicking around and willing to talk about this. So. Uh, what what's uh, is the state of uh, your work? Are you still involved in trying to expose the truth about Oklahoma City bombing all these years later? Well, I think the answer would be no to that. Basically, I, I don't know anybody that really is. I mean, unless one wants to consider, and you know, I'm doing this interview, and people like Chris Emery and and a few others are out there still, you know, open and discussing it and receiving information, the very limited amount that continues to come out from time to time. So, I mean, it's kind of a yes and no answer. We're not, we haven't separated ourselves from it, but we're not really looking for anything. But I will say this, Donald, I'd like to hear what you guys think about this. In the early days when it first happened and um, there was a lot of interviews, a lot of rate, uh, TV interviews, as everyone knows. And after I did so many, I forget exactly when this was, but it was in the earlier part so I get court TV call and they say, can you go down to Oklahoma University? They've got a place down there where, you know, different places where they'll have a studio. They said, there's going to be a guy 
somebody from Bob Macy's office, which was the district attorney that was handling the case for Oklahoma. I went down there. This was an, an assistant. He didn't want to be there. He didn't have anything to offer. We sat next to each other, two chairs, you know, cameras asking us questions. And I'm not knocking him in any way. He's a great guy. He just didn't have, he, you know, he didn't really want to be there. The other guy didn't want to be there. So he sent him. So we talk, blah, blah, blah. I probably, I, I got the sense that I really kind of got his attention by saying some things very directly like I did and always do. And then after it was over, he and I stood off to the side and talked. And he said this to me, and this is the, my point in bringing this up. He said, well, he goes, I don't know if you know who, who really runs this from the federal level. And I said, well, I've heard things, but yeah, I'm, I'd like to know what you know. He said, well, I've been on some meetings. There's a meeting that occurs once a week, usually on Mondays. And sometimes there's more, more than one of these conference calls. And it's with the Department of Justice. And it's Merrick Garland, Jamie Gorlick, and Abner Mikva, who is running the thing for the Clinton administration. or controlling, mm -hmm. running, making all the decisions. And there'll be somebody from the governor's office, the fire department, and the DA's office on there all the time. Well, I was just thinking, I wonder if anybody cares to know that in the current context that we've got this administration with Merrick Garland, the head of the justice. Mm -hmm. That is, a, he, he goes back that far. And, that's, and I guess we're, when we look at what's happening today, and you, is obviously you, you feel probably the same way that I do about it. I mean, this is kind of a, a culmination. Somebody on in, in the chat room talked about seeing uh, the documentary, A Noble Lie. And uh, there's so many lies that have happened, you know, certainly since before Oklahoma City, but since Oklahoma City. So how, how do you feel as somebody who's, you know, who's been around a while and served in the, in the state house, um, you know, years ago to where we've arrived at this kind of a disastrous condition where I, I don't you know about you, but I, I don't think America has ever been anywhere near the sorry condition that it's in today. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on? These kinds of lies, these cover-ups that that continued, and uh, eventually it resulted in the systemic corruption and just the mess that we're in today. It's really hard not to get super cynical, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, I agree with you. I think it's probably worse than I've ever seen or in it, our country's ever experienced. Although there's been, you know, sometimes people will say, "Well, but back that are that know history, they'll bring something up that you didn't know about," and that's pretty interesting stuff. But still, yet. Yeah. the worst. And personally, I, I don't have any other way to put it in context, except that we, we move away from the constitution. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big, it's a complicated answer, whatever the answer is, but that's a big element in the answer to where we are, why we're at, where we're at today. And so we're like Jefferson said, let no more be heard of confidence in man but buying him down with the change of the Constitution. Right. And as long as we've been able to do that, we've been in good shape. But as we've fallen away from that, what we've got is government by men, not by law. And yeah. that's basically the problem in my way. That would be the closest way to trying to answer the question and then find a solution for it. Because other than that, planet Earth is just a screwed up place. <laughs> It, it it definitely is, but long before we got this screwed up, <laughs> you 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 were there in the 1990s, and uh, so talk about what first of all how you became interested is. Uh, I don't know if you were state representative at the time of the Oklahoma City bombing or not, or, or how you got interested in this, and you you became one of the 
key figures along with Hoppy Heidelberg later and uh, uh, God, uh, Glenn um, Wilburn, Whoa. people like that, that were, uh, I guess, J.D. Cash, people like that, of course. David Hoff By the way, do you have any contact information for David Hoffman, the guy that wrote, I think, still the best book? He's actually, okay. He passed away quite a long time ago. Oh, gosh. I don't, I, I, what, uh, what? It was over in, it was over in Europe. I think it was Poland. Or really? Maybe Czechoslovakia. And it's a little sketchy about just why he died, but he got, I think he was taken into custody into a local jail or something. And he died there. Oh gosh. Cause he wasn't that old. Was he? No, no, not at all. Okay. Well, that's interesting. You know, I can, I can. Janie Coverdale. Mm -hmm. grandmother that had two grandsons that died in the she just passed away about three weeks ago maybe a month or so back okay that's different than because i've i've been communicating with uh edie smith trying to communicate with edie smith uh former edie smith and then kathy sanders who i guess is glenn wilburn's ex-wife and the the mother that um uh the mother of edie smith the grandmother of those babies that died and uh, she's working. She couldn't talk too much because she said she's working on a documentary and had to sign the agreement or something not to discuss things. What do you do? You did you talk much to them, or who who did you work with mostly when you were you know, when you were trying to find out the truth about the Oklahoma City bombing? Well, back then, okay. So I'll just kind of give a quick start from the beginning. Um, I was I first ran in '84 and lost. I ran in '86 and won and served for 12 years to '98. And the reason I I, and I was defeated in 98 because the powers that be came after me. Mm -hmm. They were, and that's an interesting story, a real interesting story right there, just that campaign and how all that developed. But I worked with um, Glenn Wilburn very closely and then John Cash, J.D. Cash, fairly close with, uh, with what's her name, Jana Davis, the TV reporter. Yes, yes. She was a real you know, me, me, me person. It's all about mm -hmm. her getting her information. She didn't want to share anything. She wanted everybody to give her everything. And she, I think she thought she was going to win a, whatever the equivalent television award was for breaking the open or something. But okay. uh, I think some other people had different opinion about that. But uh, so I was working with them and uh, that was pretty much it. You know, there was a lot of other people that came in and were doing different things. A, a lot of other people. And, but those were the main ones I worked with for several years. Are, are Dana Davis and uh, J.D. Cash, are they still around? What are they doing now? J.D. died several years ago. Hmm. There were questions about whether or not he was truly an independent investigator journalist or if he was connected to the other side. Whoever yeah, boy, that's everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> you never know who's, who's, who's working for who. It's spy versus spy. But I think you'll find this interesting if you didn't know this. There were there's kind of two sides and not everybody's picking one or the other, but on the subject of was it domestic or was it Middle Eastern, there seems to be. And JD and Jaina were real boy. They were hardcore on this. Jaina was said it's all it's all a Middle Eastern thing primarily or totally. Mm -hmm. said that's BS. He'd get soupy, go hostile about mm -hmm. this. No, it's just domestic. And they both had strong opinions about that, and they badmouthed each other and sometimes other people if they took a different position. And that's why J.D. was was questioned, because it was like, thou doth protesteth too much. You know, why are you 
so certain when nobody really knows, you know, if you got the smoking gun, show it to us. So, you know how these things go. It's kind of like that. You, you never know for sure, but um, that's kind of it, where people divided. It was either Middle Eastern or not. Is, is Janet Davis still around? Well, I don't know where she is. I seem like I ran into, who was it? Oh, you know, COVID's changed our perspective on time, but probably two or three years ago. Yeah. And she's kind of walked away from all of that stuff a long time ago. So, well, I, I want to, what do you know about, uh, and I want to, I want to go over some of the doubts of you before I forget, uh, you know, because I'm, again, I'm deep diving into these issues. And this is my third volume of hidden history. So, I'm, I'm, the people that have read the other two, they presumably have some kind of grasp of the basic uh, facts. I, I'm looking to try to find more about Mike Loudenslager and Danielle Hunt. And I'm sure you probably know both of those names. Uh, what, what, if anything, do you know about either of those? It's information is very hard to find. I think they're both really important. Well, Danielle Hunt, uh, they, they are not responding. They would not respond. They were very afraid. Yeah. And um, they talked to some people, including myself, briefly in the very, very, very early days. Mm -hmm. And uh, Daniel Hunt's husband um, and she supposedly knew some really dynamic information because one of those things, as you may remember, this may be why you're asking, because allegedly McVeigh and somebody else came up there in the couple yes. of days yes. That's one thing. And then the other part of it is what was communicated to she and her husband uh, because of from federal officials, if anything. And there were supposedly things that were said. And he said some things to another investigator that I trust explicitly, but I didn't hear him say this. But it was something like there was information from it was either GSA or someone else that was pretty suspect and uh, pretty telling. But he got real, and I, I've heard now that, and this is just hearing from another person that heard this, but I still think it's true and accurate. They've one of them has either passed away or something like. The, that. The, the, yeah, the, the husband died a few years ago. He he died. But just for those of you, this, again, I, this is really inside baseball. I know, but Danielle Hunt is the was the operator of the uh, daycare center mm -hmm. inside the, the Murrah building where that blew up was bombed, and uh, she resigned or I, I think she I don't think she was but she she quit her job very shortly right before the Oklahoma City bombing and supposedly this it is Timothy McVeigh and those of you familiar with the JFK assassination we know about the Oswald imposters people that were running around or you know it, it, that apparently impersonating him right before the assassination I don't know if there were McVeigh imposters but uh, McVeigh or somebody purporting to be McVeigh was making appearances and one of those appearances was a memorable one at the Murrah building where he just kind of uh, was talking about the daycare center and uh, he acted odd enough for them to remember. And her husband was uh, the head of security, I think, of the building. And I believe he was fired right before this was the same. Anyway, they both lost their jobs right before. And that's why, you know, and he's dead, but I, I would love to talk to her, but I guess you're saying she's not interested. Well, and I don't know if you, you read the reports. I don't know if you remember this because stuff not passed by, but there was another Encounter just like that by the uh, who was that guy? Department of Veterans Affairs, Paul Hilton. His last name will come to me. It's in the report, but he was a. Uh, he said they would have veterans come in there, of course, asking for help or other information that would help them. He said 
again, it was about 10 days before the bombing, maybe two weeks. They and two other guys come in. And he said in that office, they didn't have a secretary out front, but they had a little ding bell on a desk. And so here's that bell ding. He walks out front, McVeigh, two other guys, one guy sitting down, other guy standing up. Conversations with McVeigh and McVeigh, he introduces himself. He goes, I'm Paul, uh, blah, blah, whatever his last name was. He goes, I'm Tim McVeigh. And he says, oh, Tim McVeigh, uh, are you related to the McVeighs down in some town? in Oh, South yes. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, how do they spell their name or something? He spelled it differently. And he goes, oh, no, remember, doctor, doctor, that my name is spelled M-C-V-E-Y, which was kind mm-hmm. of an unusual way to respond, at least I think. Mm-hmm. Further had this conversation and then they left. Yeah, I, that, I do. I do. Uh, I do recall that. And uh, so he, somebody or some, you know, McVeigh or somebody else was, was trying to put that name out there right before. But um, so, well, it's amazing. So what about Loudenslager? I hear the story of this guy. This guy supposedly uh, saved a bunch. There's witness testimony that he was kind of a heroic figure after right. the blast. And he was involved. In, and and officially they would claim that he died. at his testimony. It's a really hard one. Yeah, because um, we tried, tried, and a bunch of people. We yeah. worked with lots of people, lots of people trying to get some kind of facts related to that. We know the stories. The stories are like what you just said. Plus, he was found at his desk, slumped over, dead, and you know, did he kill himself or did he die in the bomb? It seemed like a, a, a anyway a issue. So, I, I just it's one of those I've had to put over in a category that. I don't think we're ever going to find out and we're not going to know because there's not any hard evidence that we can put out in front of people's faces and say, look at this, you know? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I try to contact people. Uh, and again, I have uh, people, Chris is in the chat room and uh, Bob Wilton and Peter Tkach and feed me, get, get me these contact information. And they're Loudenslager is kind of an uncommon name. And I found, you know, we found several of them out there phone numbers for them but uh i can't get through you know 90 90 plus percent of these people that are connected to these events when you call their numbers i found their the numbers are disconnected i don't think that's a coincidence i don't think the, the an average random group of people that the vast majority of the listed numbers are going to be disconnected people don't want to talk so i'm sure you probably did is that at, at what point did you just finally realize you got tired of beating your head against the wall and realize that people aren't going to talk people are scared people have died. Did you just kind of say, you know, I, I don't want to be on a body count list too? Or? No, no, actually we didn't. Uh, the opposite. We, we actually mm-hmm. talked to, you know, when you look at that 555 page report, we talked and properly professionally interviewed and recorded the interviews of a lot of people. And so, but that's, I'm glad you asked me that because not only did we talk to a lot of people and we've got those affidavits in both written and audio and video form, that's just as good a quality that you'd go to a court. I mean, they should have sued me for that big report we put out. No one tried to do anything legally on that. Now, why is that? Because they can't. And they don't want to get it out there exposed and publicize it. But they, they because we, it's people's affidavits, you know, it's factual information. So, um, you know, there's a lot of that stuff. And, but there were so many people we talked to that wouldn't give us an affidavit. And I remember I was just talking to somebody the other day about this how many, you know, there's probably a half a dozen or so that I would say, I would describe them like this. They were so scared, even talking to us. They didn't come to us. We had to go seek them out and go to them and make it hard for them to turn us down. 
And I remember one lady in a southern small Oklahoma City, we went and hunted her down. She was shaking visibly like a leaf. Hmm. She was so scared that, and that these people are scared that they are going to come and get them. Somebody's going to come and get them and kill them or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you remember that witness's name or you don't want to give it? I don't remember that name. And I forget because I'd have to think real hard to remember her, the story that she was part of. Mm-hmm. But it might have been that that one might have been related to, you know, the night before the bombing, there was police surveillance down there and other stuff. And so there's a lot of things related to that. If we could get people that would go on record. But again, that's another difficult. And then I'm sure you probably looked into you had the, the situation of uh, was was McVeigh at that motel. Uh, when was he there? The, the woman talking about he was there on Easter Sunday when it didn't fit in the timeline. What did you investigate? Look into that again. It just looked to me like somebody was impersonating me there or something or the, the timeline didn't fit on some of these things. Yeah, that, there's something that very well might be going on there. And, you know, there was a, if you might remember, what is that magazine that was a, oh, anyway, you would know it. I can't, but anyway, they had a cover on the the cover during the bombing, one of the covers had two or three ATF agents that were photographed at the Waco event. And mm-hmm. one a twin brother of McVeigh. I don't know if you remember seeing that along the road along the way here. But just I just point that out to say, was it a lookalike? Was it intentional? Or was it McVeigh or all the above? There's a lot of there's a number of those things that happened. And it could look like they were trying to somebody was trying to make an appearance. So you'd either confuse the situation or you would have a lot of witnesses. So, oh, yeah, I saw this and that, you know, we don't know. That's the part of the cover up. But I tell you what, uh, there's a lot of people that saw McVeigh. We we basically those of us that were deep into this, we even think there was probably more than one rider driving around in downtown Oklahoma City intentionally. Yeah, they, and then of course you had the whole John Doe number two thing, and then um, there's uh, it mentioned in the chat room is uh, Terrence Yankee, and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk about. I mean, you talk about a suspicious death. I mean, geez, are you did you get to did you know I, him? Or I'm sure you talked to his family because they were vocal. I can't get a hold of them now, but they were very upset at first, at least. That was one that I personally had an extreme close. Uh, close experience with all all through it the family the place what i the family i drove out with the family to the place that he was killed can you can you just get given just for the audience give a little bit of an overview of of what happened to him and what he was doing because he was the most outspoken member of the police force on on what was going on hello Uh uh-oh did we lose charles Charles, I hope you can bring, hope we can bring you back in. Well, that was strange. Oh, here he is. Now. He's coming up, and I don't I don't know if I can. Charles, are you there? Charles? Oh shoot! I need to. Tony, can Tony, can you bring Charles back in? Tony. Hey, Tony. Tony, can you bring Charles back in? Because he, he he's back now, but no, he's now he's gone again. His stream dropped off, John. I'm I'm trying to get him back. Okay, yeah, because he'll probably come back. There he is. Here, if you can bring him in, I don't know. Says his devices aren't connected yet. As soon as as soon as they do, I'll bring him in the stream. He was in the. He was right starting. He was really in the midst of the. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. 
That's Please all right. come back, This is live radio, ladies and gentlemen. It, this is, it is. And my audience, I'm sure, you know, when he's talking about Clarence, uh, Terrence Yankee's death, you talk about a, an obvious hit on somebody who is a cop that was talking, and uh, he starts to talk about it, boom, it's connection. So I, I, hopefully he'll be, but just, yeah, it says device not connected. So uh, I'm just waiting for him to connect. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, because we were getting, we were getting wrong because, you know, he's, Realize that this guy's you could he's talking about there's so few people left that are yeah. willing to talk and he's he still is and uh it's you know being honest, it's amazing he's alive and well and because so most of them aren't. And that's what you find because I think I think he's there. Charles? Yeah. It, are you it, back, Charles? Is he he's he, I see him there. Can you get him? Gotcha. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, but, okay you can hear me? I can hear yes, you. Yes, we can you're, you're live. It well, had back. It said I was backstage, and I couldn't find a button to correct it. But I finally. <laughs> well, I think we, we we thought they got you or something. You know, right? Or as you're talking about Karen Cheeky, and then you, you get cut off. So, um, well, we're glad to have you back because that that's that's really an interesting story. So if you can tell uh, tell us about Karen Cheeky. Yeah. So so here's the deal. You imagine a, you know, Oklahoma is a lot like there's a lot of Oklahoma City. A good part of Oklahoma City is it's like flatland. So West Oklahoma, Central Oklahoma, where that federal penitentiary was, um, is west of Oklahoma City. It's just a bunch of flatland. So imagine farmland. You got those two-lane roads. You got barbed wire fence. And every once in a while, there's a creek that goes by, and it's got a culvert. And so what, what the story was, the official story from law enforcement, is he went out there in his, I think he had something like a Toyota Celica or something like that, and cut his wrist, and there was blood all in the pan of the floor. He closed the doors, locked them, went through a the barbed wire fence, and walked about I want to say thirty or forty feet to you know down the down the way a little bit to this creek, and then went through another barbed wire fence as he walked through a big culvert that was probably about four feet tall. And I'm five six. It might have been five feet. I don't know, but I know I would have to bend down a little bit. He's a big man, like about a six-two or six-three guy. So he supposedly walked all the way through that, then had to go through another barbed wire fence on the other side because it went under the road, and then walked about three quarters of a mile following that, and decided to go ahead and shoot himself because I guess he hadn't, you know, cutting his wrist didn't do the job, and that's the official story. So I'm, you know, I'm talking to the family. I'm out there. We're looking at it. We're walking a lot of it not the whole thing and other everything else about the story because i've talked to his mother and the sisters you know multiple times it's been a while since i've talked to him but um and and his ex-wife met with her numerous times we as a group our group met with her and i met with her personally and talked to her and that's a real the, the sad thing about that in terms of the investigation is yakey kept a lot of stuff to himself so he didn't officially share it. So we have this problem, but we do know through others that he talked to that he was very concerned and he was doing his unquote investigation. And his, and his death obviously screams that something shady was going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, I would like to talk to his family. Do you, because what I found in a lot of these cases, uh, Charles, is that People, whether it's this, 9-11, or any of these things, they, they will talk in the beginning. 
And the, but then they kind of disappear and then you can't get a hold of them. Do you think maybe they just get, they're tired, they, there's nothing else to say, or they, they, they just fear? I mean, certainly Yankee's family had to be terrified to what happened to him because, I mean, it's, well, it's maybe the most ridiculous alleged suicide I've ever heard of. You talk about you know, every possible way you can do it at one time. I mean, how can anybody believe that? But that's what we're told, that's what we're expected to believe. Well, now, none of the family told me this, but just having, you know, done this and lived like any of us have, you know, it could be, it could be fear and no doubt it's fear. Everybody's got some fear on this kind of stuff, but then most people don't want to do what we're doing, you know, dig into it and pursue it. And so I think when they get caught in a situation like this, some of them, their conscience wants them to do something, which they will do take some steps, but sticking with it is hard. And then, you know, and you, it's easy to get cynical. Most people don't have the, stick to itiveness in politics or anything like this. So I, all those things work against, you know, trying to uncover stuff. Now, what, when you, what, so when you were attempting to, uh, to expose the truth about this, did you, did you ever attempt to talk to McVeigh or did you talk to his family at all? Uh, God, that's, a, that's kind of funny. I had to stop and think about that for, but I did attempt to talk to James Nichols. Uh, I, I did talk to Terry Nichols' mother, and I may have talked to his father. I can't remember. But, um, you know, I've got some stuff. <laughs> I got a story I just can't tell you, but it has to do with – I know people hate that. I hate when I do it, when people do it to me. <laughs> it has to do with – it's really – it has to do with being a coincidental thing where somebody runs into Terry Tim McVeigh's sister – Yes. And didn't know it and they didn't reveal it. And they got close. And as time went by, she just decided she needed to reveal that to this person. Mm-hmm. And that person couldn't handle it. So it ended their relationship. Well, I, I would because McVeigh's and I, I have uh, his sister's contact info. I emailed her before she didn't answer me, but I actually talked to his father. I understand he died recently, but uh Last year, he actually answered the phone. And I was shocked. And of course, he wouldn't talk. He said, I've said, you know, he had nothing to say. But um, I, I'm one, I'm just, I'm amazed at these families that, because I mean, if you all you, and you obviously, you're more, more aware of it than, than anybody, but there's so much there that indicates that McVeigh, whatever his role was, definitely wasn't alone. And it's amazing to me that, uh, all the John Doe number two, you're saying McVeigh being teamed with two other people. And, and that was what, that was the story of, uh, of this entire thing that there was, there was somebody around McVeigh, John Doe number two, somebody else. And I, so I'm wondering what McVeigh, because McVeigh's attitude was very strange. He didn't talk at all, really. He didn't testify in his own defense. I'm just wondering what you, what all the investigators did, did anybody, did, did, did the, uh, cause I don't know when the grand jury came along, they came along before he was executed. Right? I mean, did, did anybody ever get to talk to McVeigh? It seems to me like he just, it's amazing that he, that he wasn't interviewed more. You know, it's kind of funny, Don, but today with a guy that I've known for all this time, and he was very involved in the bombing as a private citizen being involved with us and other groups, just doing that, looking in that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even think about the interview today. I didn't remember that at the time we were having lunch. His wife was with him. We're talking, blah, blah, blah. I'll start talking bombing stuff. And he says, oh, yeah. He says, oh, yeah. You know, I've got this friend that worked down at the county jail. And, you know, he's mentioned him before. And he said, yeah, he told me one time. He says, every time McVeigh or 
Nichols came through there when they did the state trials or they were helping with the federal stuff. He said, hey, these were the guys that would put the shackles on them and do this, that. And so he interfaced with them. And he said, Nichols was a jabbering, just jabbered away, just talking all the time. And he said, hey, nothing. It was like he was following orders. It was like he was following training. Yeah. Yeah. Very sick. Well, what was Nichols saying? He didn't, he didn't say he, and it, cause it wasn't really the issue that he was just making the point that the difference oh, between the, Terry Nichols was a guy that would just jabber away and talk and maybe nervous talk for that matter. He well, you, you, me- you mentioned his brother, James Nichols. So I think he's deceased now, unfortunately, but he, he was outspoken. Didn't he write a book about saying, uh, you know, arguing against the official story? Yeah. But you know, when we, I can't remember, I, I couldn't do a better job of putting it in a timeline, but by the time I talked to him, whenever that happened, he was far enough down the road and past just getting legal issues that he did not want to talk to us. He didn't want to get in trouble. Let me put it that way. I think he would have talked to me and us more and if things had been different, but he, you know, he was trying to stay out of jail and stuff. So I've sensed that he was trying to be heavy on that side and keep himself free. Well, well Nick, Nick Nichols is still alive, right? Terry Nichols. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, has, has anybody attempted to? I mean, I wonder if there's a way to contact him. Talk about an interesting interview. I wonder what that guy would have to say. Well, Sam, uh, Kathy Sanders, Wilburn Sanders, she's done that. Oh, she has. God, I wish she'd talk to me then. I, you know, I, she yeah. says, yeah. well, maybe that's what she's talking about. She said she's working on a documentary and she signed a non disclosure agreement or something. Yeah. And so she's got a lot of uh, letters she's written back and forth with him. She's actually, I got to hand it to Kathy. She's done a great job as a, from a Christian point of view, she got over, you know, the anger and whatever, and truly has forgiven him. Didn't have any, and she's just, she's reached out to him in a kind of a Christian way or in a Christian way and find out stuff, but also treating him like a decent human being, you know, which I got to yeah. hand it. So she's had a lot of, a lot of interesting discussions. Boy, well, I wish she'd talk to. I, yeah, because I, I, I know she's done a lot of work on it. Edie Smith, her daughter, told me, and I said she's the one to talk to. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll see the documentary. Maybe I'll try her again or something. Uh, somebody in the chat room wants to know if you talked to you. You must have talked to General Ben Parton, did you? Yeah, you know, Parton has passed away too. He's yes, yes, been years. But yeah, I, I talked to Parton a lot. But as the years went by, we didn't talk. But uh, and he went into a, a home and had. Alzheimer's or something like that. Uh, Chris Emery is of our group is the last one to talk to him. And uh, he, he has some funny stories to tell when he went up to D in the DC area, Virginia to visit him at one of them. You can just imagine how this story would go. It's not a really big story, but he said Parton actually picked him up at the airport or somewhere. And they drove to go back to his house. And he said, here's Parton pulls up and this Brigadier general retired, pulls up in a great big old Cadillac, picks him up and just floors it out of the, out of the airport <laughs> yeah. picture of an old man, you know, an old uh, yeah. arm. Uh, he's just little old lady from Pasadena, you know, anyway. So Parton was a really <laughs> interesting guy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have a better example of an expert that comes out yeah. on this issue. You, Absolutely. And in addition to that, you have all these other experts and then in contrast to that, you really don't have any experts that are on the other side that are demonstrating how it happened. There's been one or two that have come out 
that they've just very generally vaguely said, oh, yeah, the government. Blah. And then when they get nailed down, they fade off. They go away. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but nobody will really stand up for the government side unless they can just do it without standing any scrutiny. You know, if they can do it independently without having to stand scrutiny. Absolutely. So you so you worked it. So you were interested. How how were you associated with the the grand jury? That Hoppy Heidelberg was like the most vocal member of. How, how did that? Where where along the process did that occur? And, and tell talk a little bit about them. And sometimes people get uh, grand juries mixed up. There's actually the uh, quote official Oklahoma County grand jury that mm-hmm. I got established along with Glenn Wilburn and our attorney who's passed away. He's a nice, great guy. But then what Hoppy did, Hoppy did a citizen's grand jury, which is not associated, it's not necessarily directly associated with statutes or the laws of Oklahoma, but it's more of an organic legal issue, a legal right. And so he, they did that on that basis. And so both of them were good because I've always had an interest all my life. And then when I got into politics, you know, I wanted to, I had continue to have the interest in juries in the constitution, those founding kind of principles, um, things like that. So I, I was real well aware of how juries function and what they could do, et cetera, et cetera. And the state of Oklahoma happened to be one of only two states in the United States that have in their constitution, the ability of citizens to put together a simple petition on a piece of paper, just by typing it up, writing it up, handwriting it up and saying, we think that the sheriff of, such and such county is stealing money out of the till or whatever. He needs to be investigated. And that will put a grand jury in place to investigate. And it used to happen fairly frequently in Oklahoma. So anyway, I knew that. So I met Glenn and JD, working mainly with Glenn and JD. And then this attorney friend of mine, his name Mark Sanford, great guy. We were just friends and he offered to do the legal work for us. And he's very competent. So we started working. I I brought that up to Glenn when we saw what was going on, because this were the early days would have been from the time the bombing happened until about August and September when the defense attorneys, Tiger and Stephen Jones and the others were appointed and taken over and they were doing their press releases and what have you. And so then everybody started seeing kind of how this was turning. Then you start seeing the Fed started changing their rhetoric and saying things a little bit differently, a little differently, a little differently. You know, they just start altering things as they went along. So I said, look, you know, we, we can do our own grand jury here. There's no reason we can't and we shouldn't. Uh, we have all the ability and authority to do it, and we should do it to oversee this because it happened here and also to see what the feds are doing, make sure they're doing the right job. So we went down that path and they immediately fought us. Mm-hmm. Here's what's interesting. I'm trying to keep this on a simple level because, you know, these things can bog down in a legal mumble. Right, right, exactly. Here's here's what happened is we didn't know this, but when we filed the petition, okay, I'll back up and say a couple other things. I think we needed something like 2,500 signatures or something, but we got about 10,000 or 13,000. We had way more than what we needed. We filed it with the court, which is all we had to do, and the judge rejected it. Well, the judge would not have even any law that would give him the ability to reject, except as as things happen in our country, along the way, the Oklahoma legislature had passed a law that was actually in violation of the constitutional. We have a constitutional amendment that allows these things to happen. Legislature passes something that violates it. Nobody had ever challenged it. 
didn't need to be challenged, hadn't had an opportunity. Here we had one, so we did the research, our attorney did it, and not only was it unconstitutional, but we also had a 1964 Oklahoma Supreme Court case in which virtually the exact same question had come before that court, and the court unanimously in a published decision said, not just no, but hell no, you can't do this. These people can have a grand jury. So boom. What they did is they slowed it down for one year and three months as we had to appeal it. So one year and three months later, we got our case before the Oklahoma Supreme Court. We won and we moved forward. And that's when they tried to indict. That's when they they uh, subpoenaed me, my close friend, Ken Blood, who was part of the bombing committee, my secretary, uh, before a standing Oklahoma grand jury, which is functions much like the federal standing grand juries. It was patterned after those. And it was only to scare the hell out of us. And it did. It scared the hell out of us. It cost us money to get attorneys and stuff like that. So I'm getting off on the road. Take me back to where you want to go now. Well, I'm just I'm, try, I'm trying to think because there's there's so many players in that. Hoppy Heidelberg is gone too as well. He's, he's left yes. his Yes, and, and, and he, he he seemed that so this this grand jury I got the impression he was the really the one that was driving it and was the one that was searching for the truth. Did you work much with him? What did you think of Hoppy? Oh, worked a lot with Hoppy, and I loved him to death. Um, and I, and I'll say this: I hope it's taken right because I'm kind of a direct person, and sometimes it's taken incorrectly. But I loved Hoppy, and Hoppy loved me as as far as I know. We got along great. But Hoppy was just going to tell it like it is, pretty much like I like I just described myself. And sometimes people don't don't like that or can't handle it. You know? <laughs> right, right. Well, I and I I'm pretty sure Hoppy was in because I for people out there that denigrate Alex Jones and he's certainly different than he was then, but he did a great job of covering this back in the day. Were you ever on Alex Jones? I know Hoppy Heidelberg was. Yeah, I was on Alex Jones. I don't know how many times, six or eight or times. I don't yeah. know. But, right, but he so he he was so for those of you out there that think. This guy back in that day, because really the internet was just getting started, and uh, the other ones, I think you 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 probably uh, were interviewed. Were you interviewed by uh, the Spotlight and the Radio Free America program back then? I'm pretty sure you were, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we actually counted up. I can tell you why I know this number, but <laughs> we had a lot of people came in to help us. But there was like, like we quit counting at about 650 different interviews. Well, <laughs> well, it was great, but that was all. That was alt media back then, and the, the spotlight uh, became the American Free Press. I write for the American Free Press now, uh, regularly, and uh, you know, there's not many free newspapers left in America. But the spotlight did a great job covering Oklahoma City, and Alex Jones when he was just starting out. He, I don't think were you were you guys getting on any other? I don't know what other shows. I maybe had some radio shows you were getting on. What other outlets were available to you? Then? Here's what's interesting. Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, you know, than I do. We had back in the day in those times there was radio all over the country, radio, and so I was doing yeah. all over the country like crazy. Yeah, six hundred and some odd came from. But also, I did, I did Hannity and Combs multiple times. I did. Did you? Oh, did you really? Wow. Bill O'Reilly, the TV and radio. Hmm. I did. Uh, I think I did about six, most of them Fox programs. I believe I did a Huckabee. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them were really good. And on shot and Hannity and Combs, Combs was a lot more friendly than Hannity was. I, I, I would, I would say, I would say, I, I wouldn't think Hannity was too kind to you. Well, it's a shame. Like uh, Tucker Carlson probably would be more receptive to you now. I don't know, but uh, maybe because it's an older issue. But I, I think the way he, he approaches other issues. Now, but I had I had somebody who was an investigator 
that actually lives back in the D.C. part of the country in that area that said, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but it was probably at least six months ago, maybe the end of latter part of last year, said that he had talked to a producer, one of Tucker's top producers, and that that producer was really interested in the Oklahoma City bombing and Merrick Garland. Yeah, that's 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 so people you know, realize that this guy is right in the center of the madness today. Was uh, you know, these people they if they live long enough, you, know, they, you, you can see how they uh, are, have their fingers in so many of these ties. And uh, but this is, I mean, Oklahoma City is important because, but of course, we, we just saw Randy Weaver just died the other day, and these things are connected. During the 90s, I call uh, the Clinton administration conspiracy central, but you had Randy Weaver. Ruby Ridge, who has uh, this horrible tragedy there where the, the uh, law enforcement shot and blew off his head. Yeah. Uh, blew off his wife's head while she was holding a baby, killed his son. Uh, horrible things. And they ended up getting, getting a, a big award from juries, which the financial award was unusual in this. And then you had Waco. And that's the official version is that Timothy McVeigh was so upset about Waco. It's a lot of people were that he was inspired to do this. But all those things came, and other than the jury award to the Weaver family, the rest of it was 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 swept under the rug. And I, do you think, as I do, that this kind of corruption and the fact it went unpunished has, has led us to where we are today, where it's just massive corruption on parade? Yeah, you know, that's we're I think we're tracking on some things right here real well. Why? But our report was at a publisher, and it was due to come out. This was in the latter part of August of 2001, I mean, 11, just before 9-11. And the mm-hmm. press was really, in a local press and some national, kept in contact with me. And they kept saying, hey, is that report ready? Is it report is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? Mm-hmm. We're just about ready to, to get it done. And it came out about um, a week before 9-11. But when 9-11 hit, I got all kinds of news all of a sudden, and they wanted to know. What do you, you know, how does this relate and what's this mean? I just, it's kind of instinctively back in that time, I just said, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't pursue these things, if you don't pursue them properly to, to bring justice, it, it will happen again or something will happen again. There's a cause and effect of not doing the right thing also. Absolutely. It's, I've been asked in the chat room a few times, what do you know about Cody Snodgrass? Have you heard of that person? <sighs> that sounds familiar, but I can't picture it. Why? I don't. I, I don't know either. I, I guess he's written a book on on uh, Oklahoma City, maybe recently or whatever. So, how do we stand? I, I'm going to keep you a little over since you're late, but I, I won't keep you too much longer. Maybe ten minutes or so. If that's okay. Yeah, uh, I've got ten minutes. No, no problem. Okay. Um. So where do we? So you, you said basically at this point you're you know you're not really actively investigating it anymore. Is there anybody today that other than Kathy Sanders who apparently signed a non-disclosure agreement? So uh, hopefully it'll be a great documentary. Is there anybody else out there who's actively Jana Davis? You said you don't know where she is. No, nobody is really talking about this anymore. Has Oklahoma City just become a cold case? Well, maybe I need to redefine this. Let's let's do that because I think actively I was thinking in terms. I mean, really, you know, on a daily basis, like almost like a job. You're you're seeking information, and no, nobody's really doing that. But but all of us that we've talked about, I think I've mentioned a number of us we're still open and receiving information and people and a lot of people know us. You know, they want to get it you know, uh, to somebody that they'd look somebody like me up, you know, or you or someone been pursuing this over the years. 
Mm-hmm. We've, I think we've already investigated the heck out of it. You know, the only thing left is what they're hiding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and you, you know, these, all these things kind of run together because you just, just those three incidents there, Ruby Ridge and Waco and Oklahoma city, you know, you start to knock the dominoes over and they're all connected. And there are so many, you mentioned somebody like Merrick Garland, who's, you know, think today was involved in trying to make things more Orwellian than they are and have domestic terrorists. And you and I, Charles, would both probably, uh, Yep. <laughs> the definition of domestic terrorists. And back in the day, pretty much all you guys, Hoppy Heidelberg, you, Glenn Warburn, J.D. Cash, all you guys would have been domestic terrorists, wouldn't you, for actually questioning this stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I just kind of instinctively knew that I needed to just be out there. If I was going to do this, I needed to be out there, you know, instead of try to keep a low profile or do do this, whatever this was going to end up being. I'm just speaking very general. And then mm-hmm. later when I started getting pressure, I somehow I just felt like I, that was wrong to, to stop, but also it was also from a strategic point of view wrong. <laughs> well, you, you you spent so much time. You've certainly done more than anybody could ask anybody to do, and, and you kind of you know what are you going to do? You keep you're running into a brick wall. Uh, Doctor Randall Heather and Vicky Beamer, are they both still with us. What do what do you know about them? You know, Vicky, Vicky Beamer. I th- let me think about that for Beamer. Vicky Beamer. No, I'm thinking of a. Well, uh, she was the one I believe that uh, was at the motel or something. And, and, yeah, and, yeah. Be, well, you know, any of us uh, that have been and we stay in contact with each other in terms of pursuing this actively. Yeah, in terms of this being an active thing in our lives, we talk with each other. But I don't think anybody's talked to Vicky in a long time. She may have moved from Kansas to a southern state years ago and may still reside there you know there was also the lady that owned dreamland hotel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She, she eventually moved i think and went to another state we were talking about people being intimidated back in kansas when you had the the rider truck shop and you had that mechanic tom kessinger who the feds remember the the owner eldon and the vicky beamer who we're talking about both mm-hmm. of them adamant no this is what they saw it was not yeah uh, a mix up and they tried to they tried to spin it this were a real big eye opener for me and then tom kessinger a third person that worked there that was mechanic was just taking his break in that little bitty office and was there and they asked all of them will you do hypnosis well (laughs) kessinger's the only one that agreed to do it and after he did it they came out with a i'll never forget it big you know press release the next morning we found out what the deal was is you know, it was this mix up between two different parties that came in two different days, blah, blah, blah. We put the, you know, just ignored Eldon and Vicky. Just ignored them. And they're, they've always, they, but they told the press, I mean, they told the press and lots of press that had them on that they were wrong. But the, you know how that works. You know how it works with the press. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, uh, I imagine you said you were on radio shows and they did have more talk radio back then before the internet that were willing to keep, keep. And I'm amazed you got on people. Like, How was O'Reilly? Was O'Reilly uh, receptive to what you were saying? Yeah, you know, he really, he was, but some of my experiences, it's hard to know if it, or if it's just the way they do it and it was my fault, a producer's fault or whatever. But some of those shows, I, th- I would spend two, two and a half hours on the phone, different phone calls with the producer just to prep for doing it, the show. Mm-hmm. And then I would be all kind of like prepped up, like, man, this is all going to have to fit in this nice little box here. 
And then you get on the show and it goes off somewhere else. And I don't know, it just, it was, it threw me off on some of those shows, but the easier ones were, or Combs, Combs was easy to, to deal with. Mike Huckabee is real easy to deal with. Um, you know, and some others like that, but. Interesting. Uh, uh, you, but what about Randall Heather? That other, do you know oh, anything about Randall Heather? I've never looked up Heather. I don't know anything about him, but that'd okay. be that's one of that's one of my researchers that he boy believe me he's on top of all these things did you did you get a chance to meet uh Stephen Jones or McVeigh's uh, defense team what did you think of them they've come under a lot of criticism from research I, I got to know Stephen Jones well and spent a lot of time with him over the years since then just not on, only on this issue but just in politics in general because he's real active in politics and I'm still remained active in politics here he's a good guy he's a, he's a good kind of attorney that most people I think would like to have because he's an independent and he represents his client well. Well, the, the judge, the judge refused to let him uh, put the, the, and wasn't that the Jana Davis defense? Uh, what was it? The, the defense brief that was 150 something. Was that based on the work of Jana Davis that they refused to allow into evidence? Are you, yeah, but are you thinking when the McVeigh federal trial started that they wouldn't let Stephen Jones, the attorney put a, a lot of evidence in. So what do you Yeah. Do? Yeah. Yeah. What do you call it? A writ of mandamus or something? Mm -hmm. Kind of, I'm going to put this in. It's a way of getting something in the record, even though they won't quote officially let it in. Well, that was that was because basically that was his defense. It was all about Android Strassmeyer and uh, was was that was that well, Janet? That was Janet Davis's work, wasn't it? A lot of it was, yeah. A whole a bunch of it was, but it yeah, wasn't particularly hers. But see, she so anything Middle Eastern basically was her or connected to her work. Okay, so so, she's pushing that, yeah. Yeah, so they used all of that. Plus, they, you know, I don't know if you remember, you, I'm sure you do, but it's just a long time. Remember all of the Philippines stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was in that Philippines when, so. Well, Mc, Nick, Nichols, Nichols had a history there, right? He was in the Philippines and everything. Yeah, and, and so what we find out later, I know we're running, we're going to have a lot of time, but yeah. finding out later is, there were some of these guys. I'm trying to think of their names now. Uh, that were in Manila. They were they were making a bomb in this apartment complex. They caught it caught on fire. So if somebody calls the fire department. They come in and they find out what they were doing, investigating, and police come in and they call the, the U.S. FBI in in Manila because they say, "Look, we found this laptop, and it has this stuff on here, and it's uh, the name is slipping my mind right now." the players in the, the organization, but it has this stuff about bombing the U S blah, blah, blah. So project Bojinka project Bojinka is what was on there. Well, some years go down the road, not only had Oklahoma city just happened, but some years, a few more years go down the road. You have nine 11. It was project Bojinka flying planes into specific buildings as a terrorist act, among other things. Yeah. And for the audience to just for their information, <laughs> You might remember when 9-11 happened in Minneapolis. Remember there was that female FBI bureau chief that came in. Her name was Colleen Rowley. Mm -hmm. And they were answering questions about some of these guys that allegedly had taken the training in the plane so they could fly them into the building. Whether that really happened or not is another story. But they're, they're taking questions on that. And she said, we had requested that laptop and that information about Project Bojinkin goes back to this Manila event that happened related to the Oklahoma City bombing. And she said they would not give us the information. They never would respond to us. They just wouldn't give it to us. 
So well, you, interesting connection of, of, of yeah. There's 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 so many connections and uh, so many so many things that weren't investigated as as you know all too well. But I I can't tell you how much we appreciate the work he did. And uh, unfortunately, there's so many people like you that if uh, we can ever overthrow this tyranny, it's just, it's just completely taken hold of us. People like you are going to make the history books as real heroes. I appreciate all the work you did. Are you, is your screen frozen, Charles? Are you still there? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate yeah, it. It looked like, no, well, you, you, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of us to do, to do uh, what we're talking about. And I don't know how it's going to look, how it's going to happen, but I, Maybe it's just a matter of there's more of us than there are them. And when it, it's like the Berlin Wall or something, when it falls over, you're working towards it, but you're not really expecting it to happen. And boom, there it is all yeah. of a sudden. There, there's a lot more of us, that's for sure. I don't know when we're going to realize it. We flex our muscles. I mean, you know, God, we, we're outnumbering them by the millions, folks. Yeah. But uh, I, I really appreciate everything you did. I, I appreciate you coming on and staying a little bit over. And uh, great work. And uh, keep, keep on fighting. All you can do. I know you haven't given up, but you thinks you know this is in so many so many cases that have happened since then. 9-11, first and foremost, which is you know, similarities there, and uh, so you know it gets Oklahoma City kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Uh, I yeah. do, you, do Terry Nichols. Do you know what prison he's in? I'm going to try to contact him. You know, it's in Colorado, outside of uh, where's that School of the Mines? It's north of Pueblo. Huh. Can't think okay. of it. Well, I have to look. I have to look it up. But I, I, I appreciate again all your work and and coming on the show. Anything you want to promote or anybody in contact with you or anything? No, I just want to say I appreciate what you, I know. You've been doing this for a long time too, and I appreciate everything you do. And uh, sorry, it's hard to get a hold of, but I'd be no, happy. I, I I appreciate you coming, and and, and uh, you know I know it's uh, it's you're worth you're worth waiting for, and you're worth having on the show. Thanks well, so much. Well, I have to have you on again sometime. And, uh, re former State Representative Charles Key of Oklahoma, great guy, great researcher. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take, take care. Thank you. Yeah, Tony, if you're there, we can. Do you want to uh, say what? Well, look at the chat room. We're going to open up the phone lines if you want to do that. Um, lots of people in the chat. Good to see you. I want to say, wh whoever MB, that's just the way it is. Uh, You've made my day because you you're calling me handsome and hot and uh, one of the like a founding father. So <laughs> I don't know who you are, but uh, thank you very much for for, for the kind words. I don't know. But um, so what what's the phone number to call, Tony? Can we open up the phone line? Yeah, let me grab let me put the uh, phone in. It's eight 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 seven seven zero seventeen seventy six. Let me uh, let me uplink that. Cool. So it, 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 we love talking with you. So anybody wants to call and uh, hope you guys like the, uh, like Charles Keyes, great guy. And, you know, this, keep in mind, you talk about all those people that are dead and are not talking. And, uh, you know, it's, he's, he's kind of, he was right in the center of the event that doesn't seem like it, but you're talking about uh, that was uh, what, 20, 27 years ago. Oklahoma city by I me. Mean, hard to believe that now, but that's kind of so many things have happened since then. 9 11, first and foremost, that you know really superseded and shared a lot of things in common with that. Tony, what, what, what are your thoughts on the Oklahoma City bombing? Have you looked into it much? Oh, absolutely. I, I interviewed uh, Chris Emery. He was talking about that uh, 
uh, put together the the Noble Lie documentary. Uh, it was a great show. I interviewed him on the anniversary of Oklahoma City uh, last year. So uh, yeah, I, I, I've looked into this extensively, and uh, it's it still should be on the forefront. There were so many unanswered questions. Um, a lot went into it, and uh, of course, we we know. Um, I mean, some key facts like, you know, Joe Biden, uh, for one, uh, and uh, and his associates had the Patriot Act written before <laughs> Oklahoma City, and it was mm -hmm. the what became the Patriot Act. I mean, this is the, they tried to ram that through yes. after Oklahoma City, and it wasn't quite enough. Uh, that's where you um, you get the uh, monitoring of bank accounts. Um, you get the, you know with the monitoring the amount of cash withdrawn, all that stuff that was, the, those were put into the bones and everything for the Patriot act were written, but right before Oklahoma city, it wasn't enough to get it past nine 11. Uh, it was what they needed. It was just, uh, they, I guess they learned their lesson from Oklahoma city, but just so much weird uh, activity prior to, and what kind of person, what was Tim McVeigh? I I'm, like I've read extensively on this. What what was he? And I was in the army too. I mean, uh, he tr he he strikes me as a like a perfect Manchurian candidate because that's I mean they describe his personality and like who he was and I I'm again I I find him a, a mystery. Um, and who knows if he was he still working for the army or was he still working for the government? What was he working for? Uh, yeah. That's a great question, too, because, you know, you look at, um, you know, Bill Cooper uh, talked to the FBI because he, he, you know, he was approached by two men prior to Oklahoma City, one that looked exactly like Tim McVeigh. Another unidentified man was with him. Uh, they came by his uh, his work. He had a, his radio studio inside his shopping center at the time. And they, they asked him about uh, what they should do if they get pulled over. This is, a, you go look in, in the book, uh, Pale Horse Rider, it's all in there. But this was documented. And uh, Cooper said that one of the men that was supposedly McVeigh said that, uh, well, he had a tracking system in his right buttock. He had yeah, a, he had a <laughs> I heard that, yeah. And the other guy had a, one in his shoulder, is what he said. And he said, you, he, had Bill said, you want to touch that? And, and McVeigh supposedly offered said, Bill, you can touch my, my backside. You can touch my right back. He's like, no, that's okay. Uh, but he said it was a really odd conversation. They told him to watch Oklahoma city. Yeah. So it, some, it, something it, just very strange about Oklahoma city. Uh, it's not the official, we know the official narrative is complete garbage. Absolutely. And, and I, I'm just amazed about I, I, for some reason, I never taught. I never thought of Terry Nichols. I mean, he's still alive. He's really connected. And his brother, he was saying James. Uh, Charles was saying James, but I know James Nichols. I remember him talking to the spotlight a lot, and I know he put out a book. Of course, he died all too soon, and some of these people do. And if you can read David Hoffman's book, I still think that's the best book on the case: Oklahoma City and the bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing, and the politics of terror. But here, you know, and again, just a typical. JFK assassination type death. He dies in Europe after being while in police custody for something. I had heard he was in trouble with the law for something because he wrote this book. I, I don't know, but it's a great book. 
You got a caller, Don. Uh, welcome to I Protest with Don Jeffries. You're on the air. Hi, my name is Chris. Um, yeah, <laughs> Bill Cooper was visited by Tim McBay and John Doe number two. Um, I remember hearing him actually talk about it on the hour of the time. And John Doe number two was the one that actually did most of the talking. But uh, apparently McVeigh did offer to show his right buttock to Mr. Cooper. And Mr. Cooper did not appreciate that. But then he said that in hindsight, he wished he had taken him up on the offer to see if he was microchipped. But yeah, I, I, that yeah. story's always just. Uh stuck with me because you know, again bill cooper was interviewed by the a agreed to meet with the fbi over it because it was just so i mean obviously trying to set him up or set something up with it you know and uh his answers yeah, were, they mentioned that they were going to blow up a federal building if he wanted to go with them and he goes get the hell out of here right. <laughs> i don't want anything to do with what you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah that's the uh, lessons learned from that i mean uh, again Questions are probably never be answered, but we do know the official story is complete garbage. That's the real conspiracy theory. Like, you know, the um, the logistics, too, of the bombing itself, like how to um, explain this the damage done to this building by a truck like that. I mean, it's a hard target. And uh, again, that's the, well, there was a, you're right. You're correct. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, good, good, great call, and I uh, always appreciate you, Chris. And well, thanks I'll for backing me One more thing, Tony, if I, if I could, I wanted to ask, uh, I wanted Don to see if he could ask Mr. Key if he knew about um, the report that Terrence Eke had had filed, uh, where he claimed he watched an odd-looking um, black kind of helicopter hovering above the motor building right as the the blasts began, because he had someone pulled over on the side of the road and the person that he had pulled over also um also filed a report as well and they said it was, a, it was just weird like a, a weird light coming from the, the helicopter and it it kind of reminds me of there was a, a similar helicopter in the destruction of uh, at least one of the uh, twin tower twin towers right as it was uh going down as well just hovering there in the, in the smoke and i was just wondering if uh Mr. Keaton obviously is out there now, but I was just wondering if he had had heard that very odd report because uh, I think there was a lot more going on there than just the bombs inside the building. That's about it. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Phone lines are still open. 888-770-1776. You'd like to talk to Don? Yes. Or I'd love, love to talk to you guys. Uh, yeah. So it's, but uh, I think that, you know, you get, and he mentioned Merrick Garland. That was very important because you see how these things are connected and how this is a timeline. That's why history is so important. The fastest prologue. So many, you know, people that are in the middle of that. So you're like Merrick Garland. And because the truth was never known, people like Charles Key, state representative, tried to push it, Hobby Heidelberg, very courageous juror, General Ben Parton, Parton who was the, uh, the, the brigadier general. And he was the foremost expert in the country on explosives. Uh, you know, so you have a bomb expert. It's a brigadier general. And he, the guy couldn't get on 60 Minutes or anything like that. Nobody was interested in it. It's like, what, how, what more credentials do you need than that? And uh, then you had the original uh, coverage. And it used to be available. Somebody might have sent it to me years ago. I might have it on VHS somewhere. 
of the, uh, I'm sure you've probably seen it, Tony, the original local news coverage of Oklahoma it. City State. Yeah, you've seen that when they talk about bombs constantly. And it's, it reminds me of the, the, the coverage that some Scott Myers from Texas sent me years ago. And according to Chris, it, he thinks it came through Bill Cooper. He was the one who recorded, I guess he, but anyhow, I got uh, taped, videotaped coverage live from a local Boston station after when JFK's plane was, was missing. And it was the same kind of thing. It's the Oklahoma City bombing. You heard constant references to bombs in the building. Not, not the magic fertilizer bomb, you know, but other bombs in the building. And uh, same thing with JFK Jr. You heard constant references to the 9.39 p.m. phone call where JFK was reporting all was calm and he's awaiting landing instructions, which, of course, the government would subsequently say, no, there were no, there were no communications at all. They had constant references to it. And, of course, the Coast Guard sent out uh, Petty Officer Todd Bergen to give an interview on air with Susan Warnick. I've tried to get a hold of Susan Warnick many, many times. She will not talk. And of course, she was rewarded by getting a Profiles in Courage Award from the Kennedy Library of all things. Who, the, the Kennedy Library just specializes in giving awards to, to people who screwed their and killed their relatives, you know, people like George got W. Bush. Got we, we've got it called on. Oh, okay. Oh, we did. Sorry. <laughs> they just hung up. <laughs> Oh, well, well, call back, please, caller, because we, yeah, we love hearing from you. It's 888-770-1776 if you'd like to talk to Don. Keep the phone lines open. Absolutely. But so uh, that's why the local news coverage is really important. It's set up with JFK assassination as well, too. You look at the, look at the early news coverage and uh, the Secret Service agent being killed, the pool of blood found, the Secret Service agent ran out, supposedly tried to warn him, which uh, Chris is working on for me now. Things like that, that uh, not to mention the early witnesses, you know, everybody going towards the grass. No, not the repository. Those are important because the, the narrative hasn't been uh, established yet. And certainly in all of the, uh, the uh, mass shootings, Sandy Hook and all them, look at the early reporting. It's just full of things that later, oh, no, that actually wasn't true. Uh, because, of course, contradict what usually is a fairy tale narrative. Here's your it's call. Very important. Okay, great. You're on. Hello? You're on with Don Jeffries. Go ahead. Turn down your radio, please. Okay. Go ahead. Hello. <laughs> you can turn down your turn down your radio. You can talk. Okay, I, I just uh, I just muted. Okay. Go okay. Ahead. Yeah, I'm the I'm the White Wolf. The. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, my my name is Michael Bradley, and. Uh, don't uh, don't let too many people know that, but uh, but I'm the White Wolf. I just uh, wanted to congratulate uh, Don on the great work that he does, and uh, I, I watched him on David Knight uh, this past week, and I also watched uh, your uh, shows on David Knight, and uh, you had an excellent interview with uh, with Gary on Wednesday. Well, thank you. Just oh, just <laughs> absolutely. Uh, groundbreaking i think for a lot of people and, well, I, appreciate uh, I, I mean i mean gary is he is right over the target when when he says that uh that basically we're just being treated to one big global clown show and uh and that uh we don't really have any dogs in this fight so to say uh trump or biden they're just two sides of the same coin right it's unfortunate, yeah. but that's the truth. 
Yep, yep. And, and I think this goes back a long way, actually. Uh, I think it goes all the way back to, uh, to even before World War I. You, you had Winston Churchill in North Africa setting up the concentration camps there. And uh, all of these things are just beta tests. They, they want to see how we react. And then they study our reactions and they hone their plans. And that's really what the, what the pandemic was all about, seeing how the sheep will react. And, you know, it, it was very discouraging to see all these people running around with masks. And I still see people wearing masks. At the, at the farmer's market this morning, I still saw people wearing masks. It's like, what are these people so scared of? It, it's like, here we are two years. I, I mean, have you ever heard of a virus that just keeps going for two years? <laughs> e- even the 1918 uh, flu epidemic wore itself out after about 14 months. And uh, this thing just has legs. It just keeps going and going. You know it's a psyop. I, I, I mean, I don't understand people at this point. I, I really don't. I, I don't know how they can be so stupid to, to keep falling for this stuff. And another thing I'm noticing, and, and this is what really worries me, is that the country is being balkanized. I, I hear politicians right now, they're, they're talking like the Austrian painter was. You know who I'm referring to. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. they're, just, they're just coming right out and, and gearing us up for World War III. I, I mean, what what do they want? Do they want Putin to start firing nukes at uh, at various cities? I, I I mean, it's like yeah, they're, they're using Putin as the as the madman narrative, and uh, we, we we've heard that before. We heard it with Saddam. Oh, I, I mean, I remember the first Gulf War back in uh, 1989, 1990. Remember how how Desert Shield just kind of morphed into Desert Storm. And, uh, oh, we just had to get Saddam. He was another Hitler. He was going to take over the whole Middle East. That's, that's what we were told. That's why we had to put down Saddam. And, and it's like, uh, I mean, at least back then, the stories were a little bit more consistent. Now it's like the narrative seems to change every two weeks. And, uh, but, uh, well, I, I agree with well, you. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to let, uh, Don, uh, comment on, on some of your comments, if that's okay. We'll, and we'll see if we can't get another couple of callers in, but I, I appreciate you. White oh, Wolf. Sure, thanks sure. for, thanks for tuning in. All too. right. Take care. Oh, Bye. Thank you. Thank, thank you. White Wolf. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't comment directly. These guys are just great hearing from you. White Wolf. Very nice things. Uh, I appreciate it. Nice name. I wonder if he's, it's the tip of the hat to you, Tony. I don't think he had that before me. Uh, but I, 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 I remember seeing him in the comments I, a long time ago, but who knows, right? I guess Jim is saying some nice things about me in the chat room, too, but he also wished me happy birthday. Just, you know, I, I, my birthday's in August, Jim. Just, I'm sure where you got that from. <laughs> I was going to say, because today's my dad's birthday, and I don't, I don't think that you oh. share the birthday with my dad, but I, no. I, I thought I would have <laughs> known that by now. Yeah, no, no, no. My birthday's in August, but... Uh, so yeah, but the caller made a point about how you know this happened before World War One, way before you know Tony. I see. I talk a lot about the, the Civil War and Lincoln, and I think most of it became started then. But heard uh, history three will be filled with that kind of stuff because I even I didn't know you know thanks to Peter Tsikosh that was mostly sending me the stuff on that era. But uh, it was amazing the the kind of foreign policy that we really built up. Uh, following the Spanish-American War, you know, of 1898, when we made our first foray into globalism, the first false flag with the 
thinking of the, the, the name, which Oratorians uh, admit now. Yes, it wasn't the Spanish that did that, but still, it still we precipitated the war. After that, we had the war in the Philippines, which no one's really looked at. And boy, full of the same kind of atrocities, the same kind of scorched earth stuff, horrible things they did to civilians. And then you had during Wilson. Wilson was really a modern interventionist president. He invaded Mexico like nine times or so. He kept going into Mexico. And uh, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, he did some awful things in Haiti. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll have a lot of that in the book as well. But uh, you can see that this kind of interventionist foreign policy was built during that time. And I think there's a quote from Henry Kissinger that I found that you know, we can thank our, all our modern, modern foreign policy is built on Wilson and really was. That guy was uh, just amazing. And just to show you just a little anecdote I found to show you how awful these court historians are. Uh, they were, they were, uh, it was a, a television little piece they were trying to, and they were typically trying to build Woodrow Wilson as they would do to Lincoln or FDR. Any of these historical icons they want to build into, they were tyrants in reality to varying degrees. Uh, disastrous for the people, but they want to make them out to be heroes. So they're trying to make Wilson look really cool. So this historian, and I can't forget the guy's name, but he's he's talking about, you know, you know, Woodrow Wilson, little Woodrow Wilson as a kid. You know, he was already into this stuff so much that he drafted a constitution for his little league baseball team. Now, Woodrow Wilson, uh, I, I believe, would have been a little kid in the 1860s when ma baseball was just being, you know, it popularized. Little leagues didn't begin until the 1940s. And again, there's nobody there to say, what are you talking about? And, and what, what would a constitution for a little league team, but what did that even mean? A constitution for a little, but they throw these things out and nobody calls them on it. Right. You know how preposterous that is? I mean, you're talking about the man, the man. no, he wasn't playing little league baseball because they didn't exist. And, and yet he's, he gets away with it. And there's no Don Jeffries or anybody on TV to point out how ridiculous he is. And what, what defense would he have for that? How do you make a mistake like that? You're making up an anecdote, anecdote that is so untrue. It's, it's, and it's uh, much like uh, I found, you know, anecdotal the things where they tried to say that Lincoln, Lincoln's hatred of Jefferson, which he definitely had, was somewhat built on the Sally Hemings thing. And again, there's no evidence that this thing was popularized. That was that, that, that they were talking about that at all in Lincoln's era. You know, it was there was a uh, kind of a non-specific allegation that James Callender alleged, and that's where it came from, against Jefferson during the 18, uh, the campaign of 1800, which was one of the dirtiest in history between Jefferson and Adams, who later, of course, became great correspondents with the other. But uh, you know, Callender was a bitter, he'd been promised office, you know, but Jefferson, and he'd done some work for him. So he just, you know, took off after him and came up with this ridiculous story. But there's no, Lincoln, Lincoln was born to 1809. And I don't think the story had legs beyond that. So again, people say these things and there's nobody there to say, wait a minute, that doesn't fit in the timeline. So uh, it's one of those things. I, I love the way the chat is really very active here. Am I missing anything? Walter Craig, White Wolf. Uh, and White Wolf says the Titanic was not sunk by an iceberg. And I, 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 you know, and I've heard more and more, and I used to really, when the, the movie Titanic came out, that was one of my non-conspiratorial interests, I thought, was not conspiratorial. I was kind of just kind of interested in it for a while. Yeah, I've got the uh, Titanic Museum here in Branson. I need to go check it out. 
I've been here for yeah. over two years and I've never gone. It's like yeah, well, it's it, built like the Titanic, you know, it has the replica. Oh, cool. They, but they, they uh, the theory now is that because Jake, John Jacob Astor, you know, right. who went down with the ship and, you know, something fishy happened there because it, that the Titanic was a microcosm. And I, you know, I've used the analogy, you know, Tony, I've said recently, we've hit the, we've hit the iceberg, <laughs> the Titanic's going down and we're not getting on the lifeboats because we're in steerage and nobody on the lifeboats from steerage. And uh, John Jacob Master should have been on one of those lifeboats. I mean, this is one of the most important men on the ship, if not the most important. Why he didn't, I don't know. But of course, the uh, the uh, the theory. Down. Okay, we'll take you. You're on. I protest with Don Jeffries. Go ahead, caller. Do we have you on the line? You're on. I protest with Don Jeffries. There we go. Go ahead. Oh, there. <laughs> uh, yes, good morning. My name's Will. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Hey, Will. Yep. How are you, mate? Yeah, be sure and turn down your radio if you have another device on so we don't have an echo. Oh, no worries. Uh, I'll just turn it down there for you. Uh, there you go. Is that better? There you go. Much better. Oh, terrific. Um, I just uh, wanted to call in and say good day to Don. I've been listening to you, actually, to Don for quite a few years now, and um, I always find it uh, informative, and he's got such a good way of um, expressing and and and, um, and giving information out, you know? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I just thought I'd call up and, and just generally shoot the breeze, see how he is, and... Um, Actually, finally get to say hello because I, I I spent a lot of time um, <laughs> uh, doing um, volunteer work, and while I'm doing it, I put my headphones on and listen to Don. He's in Australia, you said Tony. He said yeah, he's in Australia. Wow, very yeah. cool, very cool. I, I listen to Don too. Uh, I even I <laughs> I, I even uh, produce his podcast, and I listen to him over again. You can always learn something. From, I've been learning uh, things from Don Jeffries for years now, and. Uh, He's a treasure trove of information and research. You, you, he's, a, he's a he's an American treasure, as a matter of fact. I've said that many times. We uh, we are lucky to have him. Oh, kind. Yeah, it seems to me um, your country seems to grow a lot of freedom thinkers, uh, whereas my country, unfortunately, I live in. I, it really is. It's almost like I live in the Walking Dead movie. Yeah, me too. It's <laughs> not much um, different. Well, we've got we've got people that so they are so um, uh, enamoured with their government, enamoured with authority. Uh, somebody puts a white coat on and they simply stop and listen and follow orders. It's actually bizarre to watch. It really is, and uh, and frightening. But uh, well, we yeah. we appreciate you calling in. I'm gonna uh, keep the phone lines open. Uh, you, sure you have do. anything else to on? On oh, actually, so I can't talk to him directly. You can he can hear you right now. Absolutely, go ahead. He, 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 he can't hear me though, right? He's not hearing me. Is he talking to someone else in the moment? No, no. I'm talking to you, but he you can't oh, hear me. He can't hear me. Okay. Good morning, Don. How are you, mate? Fine. Can you hear me? No, he can't he, hear me. Can the, uh, yeah, the audio through this board with it, it's really only good for questions and comments because Don can hear you. Um, I can hear you. Yeah, we we appreciate you uh, calling in and and Don. Uh, did hear your comments. So, uh, so th thanks again and uh, good luck. Well, oh, hopefully we'll see you yeah. in the chat. 
Hey, just before I go, if you, maybe you could ask Don if he could maybe touch on the uh, the monkeypox that they're now pushing. Yep, we'll we'll touch on it. Thanks for calling. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, we didn't get to go over that this week. I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of wondering what the it's like a buffet of potential fears they roll out, and I don't know which what they're going to choose. Yeah, you know, yeah, you is, yeah, to murder we, hornets and the smallpox. <laughs> Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the trees, you know, monkeypox. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, well. And first of all, thank you so much. Was it Will? Will from Australia? Thank Will you so much. Australia. Very very kind words. And it's really, it's really cool to think, you know, it's, it's great enough to know Tony and people like that listen to that. If somebody in Australia listens to me like that, that's it's cool. wonderful. Very, very glad to hear that. Very nice to hear that. And uh, yeah, monkeypox is, um, my sister was talking about that the other day because of course she watches TV. Like you're heard about on TV. Don't worry about it. Okay. And uh, yeah, they just seem to be throwing everything but the kitchen sink now. You know, they're, they're throwing everything at the wall and, and things are sticking. But uh, no, I don't. I don't for one second believe that this is a thing because uh, why are all these deadly things happening? Uh, like the caller brought up, uh, brought up you know, how long is this going to, I don't know, I guess it was a caller before we'll bring it up. Uh, how long is this vaccine, is these, uh, this virus going to last? It's two years now. It's great staying power. It's never going to go away. Same thing with how many poxes are, are we going to get? Are we going to, these are almost like the biblical plagues that are going to come on us. I mean, it's ridiculous. Monkey pox. I mean, I, I, I'm very skeptical of that to say the least. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to uh, the Titanic, there's a lot of stuff there that I, I, I think there is um, history that needs to be uh, re-examined. You know, there was the little bit of predictive programming. You know, there was a novel written in 1910 uh, and there was a story in it about Titan, which was this unsinkable ship. Did you know about this, Don? Like two years before the Titanic in 1912, there was a yeah, an un unsinkable ship in a novel two years prior. Like yes, 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 yes. Programming. I mean, and there's, then there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, people think that the the Titanic it was actually the sister ship, which I can't remember what the name of the sister ship was. But that's actually the one that sunk. There's a whole theory with that too. If you've heard, what was the sister ship? Yeah, but two of them came at the same time. And the Titanic sister ship, I can't remember what the name of it was. There's a, there's a lot of theories on it, obviously. Yeah, there's something weird about 1912. I mean, you got the Federal Reserve meeting uh, was on Jekyll Island on November 22nd, 1910. And uh, <laughs> it was. And uh, that's when they had their meeting. They decided what they're going to call it, use the language, what kind of bill to pass through, and Senator Aldridge and all those guys. And, you know, you fast forward. And so, to, you know, 1912 was a big election year. Uh, so the, that's when you had Teddy Roosevelt run as a third party, the Bull Moose Party, to siphon off votes from Taft. Taft yep. was a was a shoe in for reelection, pretty much. I mean, yeah. he, he'd run the country kind of like a Cal Coolidge, just kind of stayed off yeah. of you know, everybody's back mm -hmm. and just let it just be. And um, I mean, Taft, all he ever wanted to be was a Supreme Court chief justice that so he didn't really want to be president so he kind of ran it like yeah. a like a court you know it was just really quiet it wasn't a lot of bombastic yeah. stuff like you know you had tr you had teddy roosevelt who's a great <laughs> stump speaker but kind of a failure on a lot of constitutional levels and liberty levels and um of course teddy roosevelt never really took us to war i mean he on a periphery way kind of did but uh uh but you know he he would also fight in them so he's not as bad as the chicken hawks uh, of today right. But he, he still said about war. So I mean, yeah. Well, that, that's what I said about him. He he was he was uh, he at least he 
walk the walk. I mean, he was crazy. He was a warmonger and he never met a war he didn't like, but uh, yeah, he wanted to at least go fight it himself. So I, I do have a, a grudging respect for people that will actually go fight it themselves. I, mean, I still think they're crazy, but uh, you know, if you're willing to risk yourself, okay. I, I can't really, you know, that's why if, if the Lindsey Grahams of the world and you know, people like that, that just, you know, it, <laughs> in the unlikely event, maybe Lindsey would lead the all transgender brigade or something. But uh, you see these people, Commander Lindsey Graham, uh, it would be interesting to see. That would be just almost worth the price of admission. <laughs> these guys try to be soldiers. But uh, yeah, nothing works in these chicken hogs. It's crazy. But Taft, yeah, and, you know, Taft's son, of course, Senator Robert Taft. Yes. Really, yes. really good man. Yes, yeah. absolutely good man. Yeah, it just makes you wonder, like the the year 1912, a lot had going on then, and that, that having the Titanic conspiracy really not that far fetched. You know, when all that was riding on the Federal Reserve, I mean, it, for them, they needed that piece. If you if you really look at history and you kind of reverse engineer it, they needed that last piece to have a central bank in the U.S. so they could get World War One, because they got World War One eight months later. You know, they yeah. got the Federal Reserve on Christmas Eve, 1913. They rammed it through when the people had gone home and got a signature of the president. And then what was it? Uh, you know, they had the, the guns of August in yeah. 1914. So it look like, looks like we got another call, Don. We'll see if we can take this. Topper, call right. for extension zero to uh -oh. accept. <laughs> we got that thing. <laughs> we, got, we got the message again. Sorry about that. You have to call back. I'll call back. It seems to work in the second time. Oh, it's great. I'm I'm glad to see people are calling in. So nice to have the interest out there that we have. And we're supposed to, Tony. Hopefully, I can get a whole. Uh, we're supposed to have Sean Stone on next Friday. Excellent. So that'd be that'd be a great. Show. Yeah, very cool. And, you know, Sean, Sean, and I go back a ways. Uh, you know, he came to DT. Uh, it's probably been three or four years ago now. And we had DC. We had lunch together, and I was on his show at RT back when they still had studios in Washington DC. A couple times. So uh, Sean's very, very, I, I think, I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to see. The last time I talked to Sean, I think he was a cute guy. He suddenly loved Trump. He, I, I don't know if he still does, but he did. So it'd be interesting to see. <laughs> we'll have to kind of uh, try to look at that. I, if, and I don't know what Oliver thinks of that, but uh, a very That's interesting. Uh, yeah. You're on with Don Jeffries. Go ahead. Hey, uh, can you hear me? You got it. Go ahead. You're on with Don. All right. Hey, so just wanted to say thanks for all the information y'all push out, man. I, I listen to y'all like as much as y'all are on like every week. And it's, uh, I don't know. I just want to call in and say what's up. Uh, and yeah, Tony, I'm definitely going to have to hit you up for some gold and silver soon, you know, because I've seen you do that. And it's like, I just been kind of starting my, uh, gold and silver, you know, adventure. I mean, I'm only 22 right now. So I've been trying to stack for a little while, but, uh, you're, yeah, you're way ahead of the game, know. brother. At 22, yeah, at 22, so. I wasn't, I wasn't buying any metals yet. I mean, I, I, I bought, bought some gold at 23, uh, but uh, no, that's, that's a, that's great. Yeah. Anything I can do to help. And thanks for, thanks for listening. Do you catch us on the podcast or you catch Don live or how do you find us? Yeah, I'll be catching y'all out live. Um, so I'm usually at work at this time of the day. I mean, I am right now, but I'm on break. Um, but yeah, if, if I miss it, I'll usually just watch it after, but I found y'all through, well, okay, so like I, I used to listen to, I still do listen to David Knight and stuff, and that's how I found you, and then I found Don and stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been definitely a crazy rabbit hole these last couple of years, you know. Yes, it has. Yeah, it's been it's been a crazy, been a crazy, yeah. crazy time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's just it's history happening, brother. 
it is sure. crazy. And it's like, I really started waking up like uh, when I was like 19 going into 20. So that was like 2020. And then, you know, COVID hit and all that. And I'm like, you know, holy, I don't know. I started really realizing all the crazy stuff, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of want to call in and say what's up. And I guess the question for Don would be, um, so I've been listening to the hidden history. I'm almost done with the first one. Uh, I can't find the second one on Amazon. Is that like there? Is there another place I should look or I, I don't know. The second one is so called I guess that would be it. crimes and cover-ups in American politics. Uh, 1776 oh, okay. to 19. It's got a red cover with an, with a Ford by Ron Paul. You can find it when, if you look up Don Jeffries in, in Amazon, uh, that will come up usually along with hidden history. But I will tell you, I'm working on next week. Uh, donaldjeffries.media should be published with everything in one spot for Don. So like all his books in one link, his Substack, his the podcast channel, um, how to contact Don, all that good stuff. It's social media. We're going to get it all one spot. I'm working on it. Great. All right, cool. Yeah, because I've been just trying to like piece together uh, certain websites. And I, I like I listen to them on uh, Ocelli too. So that, that's kind of cool to find that. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I think that'll that'll be helpful. But yeah, that's all I really wanted to say. So, thank thank you for calling Very and having cool. a great weekend. We'll hopefully we'll uh, we'll hear from you next week. Yeah, no problem, man. All right, see you. Take care. Hey, you oh, got some great calls, hey, Don. Yeah, great. I'm 22 years old. That's fantastic, man. It's just wonderful. That so you're the hope of the world. You know, my my thing I wrote about John Doe. John Doe's the hope of the world. Well, people as young as you are, I mean, that's fantastic because you guys are the ones that are really going to get screwed over if we don't change that. We've constructed a horrible world uh, and you need to have a future. You need to have hope. And I, I'm glad you're awake and thanks so much for reading my books and everything. I really appreciate it. Uh, Alistair's mom uh, points out, it, uh, thank you. It's the Olympic was the uh, twin, the, uh, twin ship of the Titanic. Oh, the okay. The whole theory out there that it was, I, I don't even understand it, but you know, I, there's some conspiracy theories that interest me less than others. And, uh, John Jacob Astor thing, very interesting, obviously. And then you have people, again, the, the Miles Mathis's of the world. And Miles, and Miles Mathis is probably the foremost. You don't know Tony, milesmathis.com. He's, uh, he's an artist, and I'm guessing he's some kind of a trust fund baby or something. He didn't see, this is what he seems to do for a little bit. He, he thinks everything is fake, and I mean everything. So he, he doesn't think the Manson killings happened. He doesn't, he doesn't think the Kennedy assassination happened. So he doesn't, I'm pretty sure he doesn't think the Titanic happened either. And of course, I'm interested in a lot of that stuff, but uh, I wanted to have him on the show. And he is so full of himself. He said, I don't give interviews. But he doesn't, he doesn't question his own existence. No, exactly. Well, he, questioned, he questioned mine. He came to my attention early on because somebody told me he had written about me and Dave McGowan when Dave McGowan was still alive. You know, I was very honored that I was I mentioned in the same breath of them many times. People compared us. But they said that McGowan and I were both ghosts. That's the term he used. Look online and you can't find anything about them being real people. It's like you can find so many pictures of me and so many interviews of me. <laughs> and he, he was trying to claim like, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm a crazy to the CIA or something. Yeah, okay. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, people probably know more than they should know about me. I'd be constantly giving out uh, probably <clears throat> too much information. I mean, with conspiracy, Don, you know what I've found is that uh, you know Jim Mars said that uh, the mind uh, works like a parachute. Uh, it's best when it's open, but but also, <laughs> but also, if your mind's too open, your brain falls out. 
So you got to be careful. You know, it's, right. again, um, I don't claim to have any kind of authority on Insta, but there's some stuff that just leads to nihilism. Like nothing's real. Everything's staged. And I'm like, okay, then why even research it? If nothing matters, then why talk about it? You know? Yeah, well, that and that's and that's what I, I get. And again, I'm as extreme as because I consider all this stuff. I had the flat Earth guy on last week. I mean, I I I'll, I'm open to everything because I know we're being lied to constantly. But if you just and it's the same thing with you. And I see it come up all the time. Who so and so's disinfo, difference, Alex Jones, all these people. Okay, the, you think and this is the alternative side. This is what you have there, Tony and me, people like us. So if you think we're and who are you? I don't understand who are you trusting that. I mean, if you, if you, and there's like you say, there's no point in even talking about the issue. It's all co-opted, and we're all we're all part of the same game. And we're in on it. Then what's the point? So yeah, you can't you can't go that far because otherwise there's no there's not even any point in in discussing it because it's all just a you know controlled show and which I think it is largely. But I can tell you, nobody's co-opted me. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I haven't been paid. I've been paid off. They didn't do a good enough job of paying me off. <laughs> it's on an installment plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please pay me more than you're doing. I'm not I'm certainly not getting enough. On layaway. They, they put your loyalty on layaway, Don. <laughs> exactly. But um, well, that's interesting. We're talking about everything. Titanic, all kinds of stuff's coming up. And the, the comments are continuing. Those are the, those are the best chats. Just stream of consciousness. What's over in, in the Rockfin tag? Because I'm looking at the, the YouTube comments and man, yep. they're just you, you've been active over on Rockfin as well, and you got a, a ten dollar tip. Oh wow! So we can go back through. Yeah, who is that? So we can tag them. Absolutely. Let me go. I'm going back through right now to find it. It was a while ago. We sure cool, appreciate cool. any help on on Rockfin. If you're giving donations, it, it just goes direct to the show. And we've we've all agreed between myself and Don and Billy, just everything goes back into the show, uh, whether that's websites or cool. microphones or software or whatever. It's it's all reinvested. We appreciate you. And then this helps us get, you know, uh, the better our setup is, the better guests we get. Um, that was Faded Reality, $10. Oh, Faded, faded Reality. I think that's becoming a regular thing with Faded Reality. Thank, thank you so much, man. You're speaking you know. Dipping us every week like that. Very, very cool. Very much appreciate the support. And that's whether it's money or not, you know, we all have to. And I, you know, Donald Jeffries at Media is Tony's kind enough to set up a website for me. Right now, you can still go there and it's my Substack, but, you know, anything you can do to support the alternative media. So if you want to support people like us, you know, you can go to Substack and you can, you can take the pay option. It's like $5 a month. No, was it $5 a month? What is it? $55 a month or $50 a year or something. I figure. Um, and some people, in, you know, the, it's there for free. Anyhow, I'm, you know, I'm a populist. So I do feel right about having a content versus you, you're going to get the same thing, but you want to help us. That's fine. So anything you can do, because, and you're supporting us by listening and with your interest and your comments, because if shows like this can grow, then we can become an alternative, a real alternative to what's out there. Because right now you're not getting, Tucker Carlson is about the best you're going to get on TV, and he's going to be limited in what he can do. But nobody else, you, if you want to hear people talking, so when you see these crazy things happening, monkeypox or things like that, you want people that are going to approach it the right way. You're not going to people that are going to take it because there's no reason to take it seriously, it's especially when it's on, on, on so much other fear porn and things that have been thrown out in the last two years. I mean, can't we have a, like a break, a, maybe a peace and quiet for a month or something like that? I mean, 
go back and look at American history. Tony talked about uh, we, uh, you know, William Howard Taft. For example, Calvin Coolidge during the twenties, you know, the golden age, the roaring twenties. Well, you know, he he didn't do much of anything, and that's why he was a great president. He didn't do anything. He couldn't screw anything up. You know, you know, he was such a man of few words. You know, Tony, that's a great. Uh, uh, the great, uh, you know, anecdotal story where supposedly a woman uh, <laughs> bet him because hey, Mr. Coolidge, you know, President Coolidge, you know, so somebody bet me a uh, hundred dollars that uh, and I, I, I couldn't get you to say three words. You, know, you lose. You lose. <laughs> I was just thinking about that this morning. <laughs> and it's great, but but I was talking about Taft, you know, and Robert Senator, you know, Robert Taft, fantastic guy. Mr. Republican, Mr. Conservative, and you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, he, I think he died of cancer or something. But you know, I don't. Know. He, he died right after he was running for president, and he he should have been the 1952 Republican nominee. He was the favorite. Eisenhower snuck in the war hero, and people like Earl Warren, then the governor of California, young Richard Nixon, these kind of rhinos of an earlier decade, uh, earlier you know time period. They all backed Eisenhower, the establishment, and, and Taft had some bitter statement about, you know, it's impossible to become the Republican nominee without the support of uh, uh, Chase National Bank or something like that. Uh, and then he went away. But Taft was a, a real profile encouragement. And I pointed out in, in uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups, one of the chapters in John F. Kennedy's book, Profiles and Courage, which put him on the map, was about Senator Robert Taft opposing the Nuremberg trials. And I, you know, I was the first person, I think, since that time period to oppose the Nuremberg trials. Now everybody says, you know, but the alt, the alt people on our side, they want another Nuremberg trials. If we ever, and, you know, that's, it's not justice. It was a corruption of justice. It, 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 it violates all the historical precepts of war for the winners to put the, the losers on trial in a courtroom. It's ridiculous. I mean, all, all, you could argue all war is illegal or is against the law. It's outside the boundaries of that. Obviously, if you're, I mean, you're running around and you're legally killing people, right? And what you're doing, murder, it's illegal, except during war. You know, it's expected, right? Uh, so I think we really crossed some moral boundaries there. And, and Taft had some great comments on it. And so did JFK himself. And uh, people need to, re, you know, look at that and see the kind of people that Recognize Eisenhower's brothers. Both were against it at the time, too. John Eisenhower, I forget the other guy. But uh, that's history, and most people don't uh, don't remember it. I'm just trying to keep up with these comments. We don't get that's a break. From that. Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it, you, just, you, you guys are just we got another two dollars over in Rockfin. Let me see. Um, and of course, uh, faded reality uh, was our caller. Uh, Don, the 22-year-old that uh, donated. $10. Oh, that's oh man! I wish I had known that. I hope you're still listening. Hey, he did he say his name? I his real name, but, but that's made a reality. You're bless you, man. You're not you're not only you know donating money every week. You're 22 years old. You're a profile encourage. Anybody your age, it, with your generation that cares enough about the world, uh, you know, it's a wonder you don't have your you know nose buried in your cell phone like like uh, most of your peers do. And fantastic. That's incredible. And uh, I got to tell you how much dollar tip from from Bex from BEX over on Rockfin. Thank you. Thank Bex. you. Thank you, Bex. Appreciate that so much. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's, it's very it's wonderful to see this kind of you know, And I, I know this out there because there's a lot. Of, and the problem is trying to like, you know, some of the 
platforms that I appear on, quite frankly, you know, Frank, of quite frankly, I'm on there. You know, that's Susan Olson's favorite. <laughs> she loves that guy. Loves the Brady Bunch. She, and she's been on there. She asked me to try to get her on the show. And I said, you're on the Brady Bunch. You asked me to try to get you on the show. But uh, she's a big listener. She was listening when I was on the other day. But he's got a you know, really nice audience. And so we need to have this crossover thing so that people that listen to Quite Frankly know about rock, the Rockfin shows. And Jeff Rentz's audience, really, really big audience. That's a big platform for me. So that Jeff Rentz knows about the David the David Knight audience and the Jeff Rentz on if all of these audiences got together and they watched, because presumably all you guys that like, like people that watch Fox News, they watch their entire lineup. Wow, but they did you know, somehow they do. And certainly it's more palatable, I guess, than CNN or something. But or if you, you know, people that drive around and listen to a particular radio station, they listen to that whole radio station's lineup, terrestrial radio. Start doing that with, with alternative media. Know when my shows are on and Tony's are on or when we're on uh, guest platforms, David Knight, Jeff Rentz, uh, people like that, they're quite frankly, that are, that, are, uh, that are coming at you because there's not that many of us left. You know, you have some podcasts as well, too, SGT Report and Sarah Westall and uh, uh, people that are uh, Patrick's Midnight Writer News. But these are, uh, they're all out there. Tim Kelly, who is a, does a really good job. Our interesting times. I've been on his show several times. They're and I, I know I'm forgetting somebody, and I, I apologize. Even coast to coast. Now you have regular listeners to coast to coast, millions of, but uh, a lot of us, you know, that's the biggest platform we can get. So uh, just you know, listen and, and support that way, and that's you know, that's that's the way to do it. Well, Don, you got about a minute. Uh, do you want to wind down? Just yeah. tell people where they can find you, and make sure you. You plug your new website, donaldjeffries.media, uh, folks. It's going to be looking good next week by this time. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, thank you. Thanks to everybody for uh, all the calls and the questions in the chat room and for listening in. You know, we'll try to give you a great show. Hopefully next week we'll have Sean Stone on here. And uh, again, you can find me at donaldjeffries.media right now. That's where my sub stack is. And I write there a couple times a week. And uh, that's my primary writing platform. It's all my blog. but I, I'm probably mostly to, to sell. And as Tony mentioned, the next week, donaldjeffries.media will be the place where you can find all things about me. You find links to my books and so forth. And you, you know my latest books on Bard Fame. You can search for me out there in Donald Jeffrey Show. The other the other show that I have is every Wednesday on Ocelli.com. Jeff rents every Monday at 9 o'clock. Lots of places to find me. And I know most of you are finding it out there. Thanks to Tony Arnold. Thanks for everybody again. Thanks to Charles Key. Thanks everybody for listening in. I protest. <laughs>